Everybody listen to We're Not Wizards. Because we are the best. And we're not wizards. No matter what anybody says. Goodbye. Welcome to another episode of We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I'll be your host for season six, and it's May. May the fourth. We have May the fourth. We've had that already. I'm just interested in kind of Pirate Day potentially. Um, I don't know why. Maybe I do know why. I'm feeling a bit um, feeling a bit saucy. Feeling actually maybe a bit ruthless. And when you do feel a little bit ruthless. And you feel a bit piratey. And all things nautical. There's only one person who you need to bring here. So joining me, I've got Johnny Depp. That's not true. Joining me. (laughs) And he's a repeat offender. So it's his own fault if he's turned up again. And And he's here for the bad banter. It's Mr. Roland McDonald. Hello. 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 How are you? Back again. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Tired. I'm, yeah. yeah. I'm kind of the Brown same. Down, you know, slow kind of, evening. Yeah. That's yeah, good. Relaxing time. Yeah. Relaxing Winding time. Mm-hmm. We were having a chat before in the green room, which, as you see, I've actually decorated so it's now duck egg blue. Um, <laughs> so it's not a green room anymore. It's wonderful. It's absolutely stunning. And, um, I was saying that we've had a chat before, but the last time we chatted was back in November. I tried to guess the year, and it's 2018. So it seems like, to me, it didn't seem that long ago. But I looked at the time and was like, "Hmm." Did well, we count that lost, as a couple of years? The lost year, right? The lost year, haven't we? The lost haven't year, we? So, haven't, yeah. we? haven't we? Uh-huh. Um, for everybody who's out there, first of all, thank you for joining us. The reason that we do this is because, well. I've stopped for a while, but now I'm back, really, because, you know, my ego <laughs> didn't allow me to kind of stay away. Um, so there you go. So that's all I've got. You know, that's really... That, it's like Forrest Gump. That's all I've got to say about that, really. Um, and the second reason is that um, I had a chance to speak to Roland again, and when you get a chance to get a Roland back in on your podcast, and even in your life, he grab it with both hands. So that's what we're doing. Uh, um, very nice. Glad to be here. So, there you go. So, there you go. Um, uh-huh. so how are you apart from being tired? Yeah, I'm good. Uh, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Busy with a ton of things, which is why I'm tired, but they're all cool things. So so that's all good. And uh, yeah, looks like spring is finally turning a bit warmer, and that's all good. And uh, yeah, and we've been week. in quite a hard lockdown for um, most of the spring so far in the winter. So it's finally mm. easing up, and that's really that's really timely because it's starting to get boring. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I'm, I'm uh, right in saying 
Am I right in saying you kind of work from home? Uh, anyway, no, I, used to, I, think we, I think when I talked to you before, I think I still had my studio in the house, but yeah, um, now I have a studio out of the house that's actually it's still only it's only five minutes from my house. So, <laughs> all right, foot. okay. So it's, uh, it's not exactly a mission. It just gets me some oxygen before I connect to my computer in the morning. So, <laughs> you yeah. have to go out and about. Does that not exactly. mean if, the, if it's miserable outside? Yeah, that you still got to get kind of dressed up and. You ever kind of like wow. gone down to the office just with your dressing gown on and went, I'm just going <laughs> to, it's five minutes away, I'm just going to sneak through here and see, see if nobody notices. Nah, even if I work at home, I still, <laughs> I still get dressed. <laughs> Psychologically important, I think. I know some I think... some people in the lockdown have been like, oh, I'm just sitting here and I'm only dressed halfway up kind of thing. But yeah, if I don't, you've got to put jeans or at least on for the day. Trousers, at least, really. Yeah, you've got to get your pants on, haven't you? Otherwise, it's all downhill (laughs) from there. You've got to take yourself seriously first. (laughs) It's never good, no pants in a leather seat. I mean, that might be good for some kind of home working, (laughs) um, but it's not necessarily good um, if, you know, if you're, I was going to say, if you're involved in the creative industries, but it's the same thing. (laughs) You don't want chafing. (laughs) You don't, or is that stickiness? Exactly. It's like a, it's like wearing it's like wearing shorts in like a posh in somebody point in my in my uncle's posh car. You need leather seats, and then you'd be like, "I don't want to go in his car because his car his car was lovely. It was beautiful. I can't even remember what type it was because I was about probably seven or eight years old, but I do remember feeling like somebody had literally used no more nails in the back of my legs. You try to get up and. <laughs> feel the skin, feel the skin, kind yeah. of peel away, you know. Leave, and I've never leave behind little sweat patches, and probably most of my hair follicles because I've not got hair <laughs> down the back of my legs now from you know from leather seating. But they, that's another, that's so, another story. Yeah, a worthy detail. <laughs> <laughs> Is there any others? Um, did you? Like, because cause, like lockdown came about, and it affected it affected different people in diff in different ways. Yeah, you obviously you move from somebody who normally works on their own to and and a team at a distance to like. So, did you notice a huge difference apart from the fact when you went to get toilet paper there was none, and it was like, <laughs> I'm an artist yes, with a poo. <laughs> No, no, the, yeah, the first, uh, the first, probably the first six months was actually quite nice, to be honest. Right, like, mm-hmm. we're probably far enough away from it now. You can admit that it was actually quite pleasant at the beginning, and because uh, my life was the same, I actually had jobs lined up for six months ahead already, so I wasn't mm-hmm. worried about not the work not coming in, which I know affected obviously a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, I had work line queued up. And, um, yeah, my, my work life is pretty solitary anyway. So all the communication is done by email or Skype. Well, not Skype anymore, right? Everything's Zoom now. But, um, yeah. but yeah, so in terms of, like, work life, nothing changed. And then even for the first few months, I mean, it was it was disappointing. The lockdown didn't kick in very hard in the Netherlands early on. So we yeah. were still playing board games and, uh, you know, only less people and with a bit more care and distance. But um, 
So it wasn't until I think the autumn that we really started getting restricted to how many people we could see and stuff. So yeah, still playing games and um, working as normal. So it wasn't it wasn't a massive difference. It was kind of just nice to have the quiet time, and yeah. also because everyone everyone else went into panic mode, it kind of actually took the pressure off of a lot of the jobs because everyone's deadline suddenly shifted and they didn't know if they wanted things quite as soon as they wanted them anymore. So uh, deadlines got more relaxed and you could just like, oh, I don't feel like working today, whereas normally I just work six days a week and I was able to yeah. actually take some time off in the spring. So to be honest, it was uh, fairly positive at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> and then I liked it. <laughs> yeah. We could have, could we have we more could have people trying pangolins, please? Pandemic, that'd be great. Yeah. Well, that's what I mean. I mean, joking aside, no, that's what they're. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of what they're thinking about at the moment. I mean, well, kind of. Here we go. Yeah. You know, what's next? Yeah. I I have no, no idea. Yeah, asteroids. It's changed, maybe. it's changed a lot as we've gone. I guess so. The longer it's gone on, it's changed, right? The dynamic. So, just gets old. <laughs> You know, even if you, I enjoy yeah. my own company and I make my own projects and I get busy mm. with like, little ideas I have, so I was able to entertain myself for a really long time. But after a while, you're like, just need a change to the rhythm. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so we're kind of at that point now, but hopefully things are starting to ease up. One of the other things is the conventions kind of all being. Kind yeah, of that was a kind of uh, that was quite fortuitous for me. Because um, I decided in the winter that I wasn't going to go to any conventions this year, uh, last year. Because usually yeah. I go to UK Games Expo and I go to Spiel. Mm. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's kind of 60, 60 40 for business and pleasure. And uh, yeah, I decided this year I wouldn't actually make the trips. So, um, <laughs> So I didn't book the hotels and I didn't book the flights and things. So yeah, uh, and actually, yeah, if you're going for work, I mean, they're both exhausting. Um, they're great events and they're fun and everything, but uh, I'm usually dead after spiel. So <laughs> like sleep for two days and then sort of slowly recover for a week after that, just running around and having all those meetings and stuff. Mm -hmm. It's really nice to catch up with everyone in the industry and friends from like media stuff. But yeah, it is exhausting. So it wasn't bad to have a year off. Um, but yeah, it also changed a lot how the industry's worked. Huh? So like losing those conventions really disrupted the... The flow of new projects, and you really felt it in the autumn that there was a change of pace to the normal year because people weren't rushing to get stuff out for yeah. Essen. So that that was definitely different. Did you did you notice it affected any of the kind of the the business development for yourself, like the kind of the offhand kind of potential one offs that you have? You know, because sometimes you'll because what happens is you'll meet somebody at a con and they'll be like, oh, I've not seen you for ages. It's like, oh yeah, I want to speak to you about this potential job. Yeah, did you find? Yeah, did you sure. find that? Uh, yeah, you don't know, do you? I mean, I've probably missed certain opportunities, and there was always mm. like, um, like uh, I've been working with the guys from Undaunted, so I'd always meet up with David Thompson and Trevor Benjamin, and then some yeah. of the guys from the. There's a really good game design collective in based around Cambridge that both of those guys used to be connected to. So I'd meet all those designers and all those people and you know, you make all these connections over drinks and dinner and stuff. And you never know what comes out of that. So I've always had 
some projects come back from that. But on the other hand, yeah. yeah, I've been lucky. I mean, I've built up a fairly decent portfolio of board games now and got quite a few repeat clients for yeah. games that I've illustrated. So um, I'm still I'm still fully booked until uh, September now. So um, we'll see what happens then. But it didn't. It hasn't meant I haven't had the work. But yeah, I've I haven't picked up many new new projects i've mostly now got projects from clients that come back every year or come back for new projects so yeah. new and exciting projects yeah i haven't uh made it has been harder to make those connections you're kind of reliant on newsletters and social outreach so yeah that can only go so far yeah yeah because the self mark the self market is pretty the self marketing is always pretty difficult. I mean, in terms of time scale, does it take long for jobs to kind of be, um, kind of be planned out? I mean, you're saying you've got stuff until September. So when is it you're going to start looking? Is it going to be like next month, the month after when you're going to be back? Well, I hope I don't have to start looking. <laughs> I hope I don't have to start looking. But yeah, so far I've been lucky, and every time it starts to get sort of about two months out, someone yeah. will just call me and offer me another job. Um, that's that only realistically started a couple of years ago before that i was sort of having to be a bit more active about getting work mm-hmm. but um now i'm in a better position i'm a bit more known in the industry so i get i get requests quite often so um but yeah i mean if if i haven't heard anything and i'm two months out um and i don't want to take some time off then i'll start pushing just reaching back out to the companies that i worked with before first and then there's always a few companies that i'd quite like to work with in the future so just sort of knock on those doors but uh, i do a lot less marketing than i used to partly because i realize you do a lot of marketing and it's to people who you either don't really want to work for or who are never going to be a great fit so i've really streamlined uh, the people that I chase as well. So, yeah. Is that 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 put you in the position then where you kind of like you kind of like attracts like, so you're more in the yeah. position where you're kind of attracting the kind of clients that you kind of want to work with. And is it also easier for you to kind of turn people down as well? Um, yeah, it's now. Like, well, yeah, I mostly yeah, I used to just take everything. And just stack mm-hmm. the jobs and then work an 80 hour, 90 hour week, wow. <laughs> um, which was killer. And then I would sort of crash for a while and then reboot. And then, so I realized that obviously I can't do that. And I have to just say, uh-huh. okay, well, I've got enough work. And because when you come, when you sort of starting out in the creative industry, especially like as an illustrator or something, obviously all work is good work. And you don't want to turn something down because it might be an opportunity in the future. But, uh, yeah. you know, it's. At a certain point, you have to look at your diary and say, I'm probably going to be okay for the next six months. Maybe I yeah. should not take this stock. And then now if, I'm get, if I'm overbooked now, then I just have to have faith that more jobs will come in. And, uh, yeah, I guess you just reach a certain point in your career and with a bit of confidence where you build up your confidence, where you feel like, okay, I'll probably be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So I've kind of got there now, and it's easy to just turn people down. I get asked a lot to do, um, like, a lot of uh, new Kickstarter creators, so sort of first-time designers. I get quite a lot of inquiries for that, Um, and I never accept those jobs. But um, 
partly just because they're potentially problematic. And right. so they could end up being a time sink. Sometimes you get offered an interesting project and then it's worth considering. But usually, yeah, I've got a lot of work and taking on an unknown project with a, someone who's a first-time creator is quite high risk um, yeah. for me. So I'm reluctant to take those on. But in the last two years, I've started actually doing consultancy for some of those projects all right okay so um maybe i do some i help them uh get going with some art direction or ex give them some advice on how to communicate with their illustrators they might work with because obviously they've got sort of no idea a lot of people are just like we don't know who to ask we don't know what prices are we don't know anything so oh yeah 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 no. so so it can be partly guidance for that and it can be like maybe just doing mood boards to get them give them some new ideas about styling sometimes people come to you and they're like uh, we, we we want to make this game and we think it should look like this and i look at it and i think oh god it shouldn't look like that at all <laughs> or that's <laughs> going to be terrible no one's ever going to buy that so then sometimes it's useful to just sort of do a quick breakdown i just sort of do a one day mood board and then do a skype call with them and explain my feelings of it as an art director and give them some suggestions of directions in which to go um so what is a what's what's a mood what's a mood what's a mood board i'm i'm not gonna i'm not gonna guess i'm not gonna guess it's just like and this is angry and is it is it you know i'm not gonna guess it's a cover <laughs> word but just a bunch of pictures on a page, to be honest. Right. But, um, so uh, it could just be doing like a, collecting a bunch of images on Pinterest, but usually I do, I collect the images and then I'll uh, do a backdrop that matches the kind of look and feel I want for the game. And mm -hmm. then we'll have maybe pictures of characters or buildings or different styles or a style that I think they should be going in. So sometimes they don't really know what they want and I have a few ideas. So I'll present them with a bunch of ideas. Yeah. Um, but guide them towards the ideas that I think would probably be strongest. And sometimes if they've got a rough, a more specific idea, then I can sort of build a mood board around the idea or we have a Skype yeah. call and then I'll say, okay, I can put together a concept for what I think the game should look like and then give them an um, idea for that. So the one, so the most notable one at the moment that I've done for that was actually the Hidden Leaders campaign. Oh, which right, is yeah. just about to finish on Kickstarter, I think. So it'll finish by the time this goes up. But Hidden Leaders has done super well. But uh, when they came to me with that game, they had um, a very uh, sort of low-rent uh, magic D&D card art on that game and way too much text and ugly icons and things. And they knew something needed to change, but they just didn't know what. So I think they originally asked me to illustrate it, and I said I couldn't do it, but that I'd give them some guidance. So after a Skype call, I ended up hooking them up with yeah. uh, Satoshi, who did all that character art, which is fantastic work. I've wanted to get him on a board game for a long oh, time. Oh, the stuff there is amazing. Character work is so good. So it was really nice to get him into a mm -hmm. uh, board game. And, um, yeah, and then I designed all the card backs for that to give it the look and feel and did all the text and icons and things to just get it feeling right. And, uh, yeah, so I did a lot with them. And then I would Skype with them, like, once every few weeks, once a month or something for a while, and then we had big pause, and then we'd check back in, and then I'd checked in with them a lot more at the end just before they went to Kickstarter. So, yeah, that's a different way of working. I'm quite interested in pursuing a bit more. Because it's it's interesting to see different projects. So it's almost like a it is like as you say it's like an art director's thing. So it's like you yeah, you're just saying, of... look, 
here's my experience. This is what yeah. I can think. And it's also, well, actually, if I decide to take on the job, I can do it. But here's yes. actually four or five artists I know that could For deliver sure. this yeah, briefly exactly. kind of better. Yeah. yeah, and there's all sorts of other, you know, you can help them if they get stuck with someone or if they don't know how to make a decision or they don't know how to give feedback to the artist. There's oh. lots of different ways of doing it. And I've done it with a couple of bigger clients as well. I've done it with, um, I won't say, just in case they care. Um, but um, I've done mood boards and Skype chats with other clients just at the early stages of their projects um, yeah. just to help them flesh out an idea. And again, it's like sometimes you don't know if a project's going to be a good fit, but I think sometimes a publisher feels if, if they ask you that they need to hire you. And I think, well, we could I could just look at some ideas and do some concept work, which is what I do for a video game. And then if you're interested, either I take it on or I help you find the right person to take it on. And I think that's an interesting way of working. And, uh, I quite enjoy the yeah touching base and exploring a project idea it's kind of sometimes nice not to have to do all the work but to jump in there and come up with the concept level stuff so yeah well i think people need that i think people need that because normally nine times out of ten are they not just saying right okay let's have a look at a bunch of artists portfolios and select somebody and going for it yeah well if you look on the forums like advising designers what to do it's just like Go on ArtStation and have a look around. Well, I don't know if you've been on ArtStation or Pinterest, <laughs> but it's an absolute maze. Like, there's some fantastic stuff on there, but A, I can guarantee yeah. that you can't afford 95% of those people. Yeah. Because, like, anyone who's doing regular work for computer games, um, like a first time designer creator, there's just no way they can afford them. Like, board game prices are so low because there's just no money in the business. So, mm-hmm. yeah. The deal that was made with uh, Satoshi, in a way, was to more to kind of um, license his work that he'd already done rather than buy new work because his new work was too expensive. So uh, that was uh, an interesting way of working around that. But, yeah, the, there's just so many options. It can be really overwhelming if you don't have a clear, clear vision of what you want. But they're not actually getting they're not actually getting new art. They're getting kind of... Uh, no, like he does, kind of... he does, um, he does, Satoshi does every, well, at least two or three times a week, he posts a character. So he's got like yeah. 500 or so characters all stocked up. So I think a lot of the characters that they took, they went through his whole portfolio and said, oh, these would be perfect. And then they sorted them into like all the different C people and all the different clusters. So they made nice arrangements with that. And I think, mm-hmm. uh, so for some of the stretch goals, he did unique art for them because obviously the stretch goals can pay for that. Yeah, yeah they, he's got so much work available and he's never used it for board games. So there was just a whole mine there to explore. <laughs> yeah. uh, do, you know, do you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of um, Catacombs. Yeah, and what I mean by yeah. that is the original first edition of Catacombs yeah. was like this kind of uh, almost, you could say, traditional kind of dungeon crawler type stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, then Quan Chai got involved in like the following editions and he said, okay, well, let's completely lighten the mood. So it mm. looks to me like this could have been something that was pretty grimy and it now looks like a technicolored rainbow of dungeon fun. Well, it's the difference between something being niche and something being like, I mean, this is a, the audience for this is huge now. And I think if they'd stuck with the original art style, 
they wouldn't mm -hmm. have done but if they, you know getting the right art style is so important because it also changes your audience yeah which is probably the same with like Katakum's second edition which did much better it's just mm -hmm. like you've got a much broader scope you're reaching families like gamers people <laughs> people who want fun <laughs> and not necessarily just into killing stuff so yeah there's all sorts of different uh when you choose your art you're not necessarily just choosing something cool you have to realize that you're choosing a marketing tool mm -hmm. and it should speak to your game but it also mostly needs to speak to the the audience that you're trying to attract or if it's really a commercial proposition the audience that you want for your game so yeah it's it's interesting so. do you see do you ever see kickstarter campaigns that you're just like oh i would have done the art so many ways differently to this and it would have it would have it would have made a much it would have made much a such a difference to how maybe people would have perceived it there's obviously well-funded games but is there ones that you would have jumped in and done something kind of differently like almost like your own version you know you have kind of like different cuts of films <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. release release the role in the cut. Yeah. But is there a is there a Kickstarter you would have like went, oh I would have loved to have worked on that one and illustrated it? Uh, no, I not specifically. I can't think of one where I think, oh, I would have loved to do that. I think there's games that I'd be that I feel yeah, still don't get the love that they could do artistically that still end up on Kickstarter. So it's always a shame that uh, Queen Games, they regularly do Kickstarters, but they still don't quite do a good enough job, I think, with the art stuff. Um, mm -hmm. So, because I think they make generally nice games. Uh, it's, uh, if you're doing a Kickstarter, I find the level a bit low still for them. So, but yeah, I can't think of right off the top of my head one game that I remember going, oh yeah, I wish I'd have been able to get my hands on that one. So, yeah. Mostly I'm just... Yeah. Um, usually just impressed by how <laughs> how nice a lot of these things look these days so yeah. the standard does the standard does look kind of yeah, incredible so i think we are we are at the point where i think it's been yeah. it's been labored into so many people you've got to have amazing looking art yeah, I think just forced one issue, thing, right i think we probably talked about yeah. this last time but like kicks the demands of kickstarter which talk about later probably as well is uh it's just um it's raised the bar just so much that if you want to compete in the retail space then you kind of have to meet that mark a bit and um mm -hmm. yeah yeah which is in general a really good thing i think for the industry because i think a lot of people a lot of games before probably it's not that games have got overproduced or anything obviously there are games that are massively overproduced because of kickstarter but um, yes. in general i think there's also a lot of publishers that just weren't that bothered about the art or didn't think it mattered um, mm -hmm. and now i think maybe even if they still don't think it matters much to the game they realize that they have to make it matter for the the audience actually does care uh, yeah like kickstarters allowed people to vote with their wallets and so companies have had to sit up and uh, adjust so i think that's been good in general I mean, it's nice to see a lot of like dry euros starting to look uh more appealing <laughs> 
just as a as a side, I mean, as a side question in terms of you know illustration. One of the thing is the as the board game hobby kind of progresses, people are asking obviously progressive questions. So in terms of appropriateness of art and stuff like that. Yeah. Now, is that something you find yourself kind of thinking, well, yeah, I've, I've got to take this into consideration or, um, I mean, as an artist, is, do you think there, there's always, because I, I, I don't know, I I think board games as a media there's, is, is still a relatively small thing. And I think the I realm of fantasy art is far going to outweigh that no matter what happens. I think you're always going to get drawings, illustrations, whatever, that some people are going to say, hey, that's not that's not cool. It's There's a there's not an awful lot of clothing on these people. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. But if you haven't got a good reason for it and you're aware of it, then there's not really a good reason to do it. So, like, <laughs> um, there's... If you if you're coming from a position of being aware of your choices, then mm. uh, why 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 would you be making that choice? You know, like um, mm-hmm. like fancy art. Fancy art, you could say, was its own niche, or its own genre. It's probably really sort of somewhat outdated by modern standards. Yeah. And yeah, there's still lots of it out there. And there are always, of course, these people who like that or want that. But sort mm-hmm. of uh, as an yeah, the world you want to live in, you want your kids to live in, you, uh, the things that you think, yeah, why why would I have chosen that? Like, I personally would never be interested in those kind of portrayals. Like, what do they mean? They seem so, like, Conan in the 80s. They've got nothing to do with, I don't know, they're sort of out, they feel out of date anyway. They don't feel yeah. connected to our lives. They feel old-fashioned. They feel just peculiar and... Uh, they don't even they're, they're not believable they don't they're like it's framed as fantasy stuff like that but it's like the fantasy isn't to do with a fantasy world because if you were doing world building in the way that you know good uh movie people or computer games people do full-on world building then you try and build mm-hmm. armor and you try and think about what the people might wear and what fabrics they would have and why they would do things yeah. you know to build a believable world so then to put any kind of soldier in <laughs> or warrior in flimsy, ridiculous clothing. It's just like, how does that make my world believable? So, exactly. <laughs> so I was just thinking, even on the most basic is... premise, it's just like this completely. If you talk about immersion and world building, like how can you defend world building and be happy with uh, Sonia or something? Like, yeah, I don't know. It's like this is Barasketh of Void. <laughs> What happened? Well, they def- they defeated. Did they not defeat fifteen hundred zombies? It's like yeah, but they died in pneumonia. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, they got through all that. Because because they couldn't get a jacket. <laughs> <laughs> but I kind of think it's just standard, um, and I think it's yeah, it's really good to yeah. see that it's just yeah a broad part of normal culture, and that, uh, it's really nice to see clients being much more proactively. Um, involved mm-hmm. in that process as well and you don't have to try and get that stuff in on your own anymore and that, yeah that's uh, just become the, the standard really mm-hmm. so would that's... that be your such so going back to your art direction thing if somebody said right I'm going to do 
I'm going to do a game based on the Samurai era or something like that. Yeah. And they says, would you, kind of, I want you to be kind of authentic as possible. Would you then look at, in an art director thing, kind of reaching out to people who had kind of experience in that kind of genre, I guess, as opposed to saying, right, we'll do big swords and here's a big flashy helmet kind of thing. Uh, yeah, like, uh, well, I, like, you know, I, I did Shogun, uh, Total War mm-hmm. back in the day. And, uh, yeah. so that's like the tradition. Well, that's kind of weird, right? So that's like a traditional, uh, take on Japanese, um, culture, sort of the, we did that Shogun, the art for Shogun was done in sort of the Yukiri, uh, woodblock style. And, mm-hmm. um, so, and it was all done like well researched and done quite authentically as much as you can doing it digitally um, yeah but yeah everything was very carefully studied and copied for worked on for that um yeah so yeah if you want to do it traditionally but on the other hand that's also not the art from the era that the shogun era was <laughs> so uh <laughs> yeah you know it's a proxy for japanese culture which um yeah, most people in the West can't haven't got the knowledge to know the difference, and yeah, I don't know. So you could say that there was something to do with appropriation there, and that some people would find maybe some of that stuff a problem. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's I don't know that within that specific context it would be a problem. But obviously, yeah, I mean, is the question then? Do you have to ask a Japanese artist to do that, or is it okay if you're yeah. doing thorough research of the style like we did on Shogun? But yeah. Yes. Um, also, like, if you had to go to a Japanese woodblock artist <laughs> to do uh, pictures for your game or something, or uh, it would cost you an absolute fortune. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, you know, there are, there are, uh, yeah. I mean, you could do, yeah. So, yeah. Cons- finding someone who's someone who's very speci- someone who's very specialised is also someone who charges to be very specialised. So. Mm-hmm. so yeah but mm-hmm. i would always approach it from a traditional perspective or at least do that as part of the research and then, then try and bring elements of that into whatever project you know you want a bit of authenticity mm-hmm. tied in research is a really big part of my work so i mean moving from art research into game design research <laughs> because um, Ruthless, because at the time we were discussing, I mean, a couple of years ago, obviously, we were discussing a little bit of Ruthless, and it went out there, mm-hmm. and there was a lot of people that really like it and still kind of really talk about it and get excited about it, and I know that the guys at Polyhedron Collider liked it, and, you know, and now, after you've been sitting about doing nothing, <laughs> yeah. um, pretty much, like you said... Um, you've decided to to look at kind of like an expansion, the yeah, next, the, ex- the next, the next tale you could almost see. Well, it's called Tall Tales, in fact. The wow. expansion. It's, it's almost like I looked at the website. <laughs> I know. Amazing <laughs> research. You did some work. No. Um, <laughs> I turned on a website no. for two seconds and shut it down. Yeah, pretty um, much. That's it. That's how I did it. I researched it for an hour. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I I kind of always had extra ideas when I did Ruthless. So there was always mm. stuff that um, 
was excess that was never good that just wasn't appropriate to go in a base box the yeah. original game was the original game was quite complete uh, so i guess for people who didn't listen to the original podcast ruthless is a pirate based deck building game with a poker element and set collection and hand management that i designed back in well published had published by uh couple of publishers back in 2018 and yeah there was always there was always extra stuff that i wanted to put in there but at some point you're just yeah. bloating the design and it needed to be for a first printing as streamlined you know streamlined and accessible and um so i had a lot of ideas sort of still lurking around i liked and uh, so it was always sort of in my mind to do it and then i kind of stopped started it a couple of times so um, I started work on the expansion probably like the year after. And then mm -hmm. I was like, oh, I don't know if I really want to do this. I've got a lot of jobs on and I've got a lot of, you know, I'm illustrating all these games and I don't have the time. I was working nonstop for a long time. Um, so then it kind of fell on the back burner and then I wasn't going to do it. And I guess... Yeah, it's kind of never went away. So I just sort of occasionally would pick it back up again and poke at it again. And uh, I guess when the lockdown kicked in, then it gave me the time to just spend that extra bit of time and go, okay, well, I've got time to draw the rest of the art and I've got time to do the testing and refine this. So. Did winning the UK Games Expo Award in 2019 for Best Strategic Card Game, did that maybe think oh really should maybe think about another one of these yeah well it was nice to yeah it's nice to actually get some i mean we got some good reviews and good feedback so it was nice yeah, to get those did, yeah. and getting them um yeah i mean getting an award is like confirmation that maybe you did a good job so uh, <laughs> you know. i just imagine you just walking past a whole group of game designers and going in your faces <laughs> game design <laughs> this is totally easy yeah first time <laughs> all just lazy first first time <laughs> suck it in the sea award <laughs> Jing. <laughs> it was a bit it was a bit ridiculous to win it but then like, it's kind of that's the problem it's like then you've got this thing and you're like okay well i, I made this game like the first proper game that mm. i worked on obviously i did a yeah i did a few other little bits for myself but then yeah. the first game i put out there and i yeah it, it went really well and it came together pretty uh -huh. quickly in the design and then it came together as well as a game and it's yeah pretty well loved by its fan base um but yeah so there was partly like oh i kind of proved to myself that it wasn't just a fluke <laughs> i suppose doing it again <laughs> Right, and yeah, I must like, I must say I do like the kind of the, I like the display cabin that you've got behind you that's got the award in it that's really nicely lit. Yeah, it's, just the, there's nothing else in this room. It's just that as you can just, uh, just see. That. Just I feel like that. Indiana this, Jones. This whole room is like it's just spotlight from above. And yeah. if anybody tries to take the trophy, then oh, a big rolling ball just comes down. <laughs> it's got sentry guns like in Aliens. Uh, I think also <laughs> there's a degree to which I was a little bit embarrassed by it as well. So, well, I'm English, so I have to uh, yeah, be embarrassed yeah. by achievements as well. 
uh, nothing worse than being successful. Man. It's awful. So. <laughs> yeah. I'm really, I'm really sorry for doing well. <laughs> it's how we all brought up, um, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, so yes, exactly. that's good. And yeah, there's, uh, but it was also like, so it's also always been a toss up between doing the expansion for Ruthless and getting on with the next game design. Um, mm-hmm. So there was a point where I was like, really, I, I've, I could do the expansion for Ruthless. Like I have the ideas, but there's all this, I know how long the testing process and all that flow takes. And I was like, yeah. do I want to invest that time in expanding this game or, or do I just want to get on with a new design? And yeah, it kind of went back and forth. Like it's obviously really tempting to start something new. Okay. And, um, but yeah, in the end, uh, in the end, I'll probably get around to doing both. So <laughs> choose to do this one first in the end. But yeah. So I've got other because... ideas lined up, but this was kind of, okay, well, I've got the time now, so I'll just get this done and get it out of my mind partly as well. Like, yeah. I just wanted to wrap up the project to a degree and bring it to a good closure. So, yeah. But the other thing is as well is you can also, on the on the box, you can actually write from the award, award-winning games designer of Ruthless. Yeah. You know, that's your badge. pitch. <laughs> the, put the, in fact, the award badge could take up Most 50% of, cover, of right? the box. <laughs> <laughs> you just have a little, just a spoil, just a little kind of, just a hint of what's in here. Yeah. Um, but it must have been a huge boost to your confidence. But yeah, for the expansion, for pe- for people that have it, for people that have the original Ruthless, or people that mm-hmm. haven't got the original game, what can they expect in the Tall Tales? Uh, so for people who have it. Um... Yeah, for people who have the game, then we have, it's a kind of a modular expansion, but everything can be played together. Um, and it's all been tested right. thoroughly to work together as well. So even though it's modular, but if you did that on your first play, it would probably uh, dry your eyeballs and your brain out. Because <laughs> there's just a few <laughs> too many different things to add in in one game. But after a couple of games, you can get your head around it. But yeah, there's quite a lot in there. Like it's almost as big an expansion as uh, the original game was. It's got a lot oh, of right, cards, okay. new tokens, um, and I think how many modules have we got? I think there's six or seven. So yeah. uh, we've got like all new. It's based on um, the pirates are in suits. So the people who know the game will know. But the pirates are in um, suits and uh, ranks. So like normal playing cards in a way. Um, because you're building poker sets at the end of the round. So there's two new sets of those, with, and there are five or six new powers, uh, six new powers mm-hmm. in the game. So those new powers are scattered across the two new suits. Then there's a new suit with um, people, so the merfolk. Um, and yeah. They, they're, yeah, they were really fun to illustrate. They look great. And they have the new powers on, but they also have this dual rank system so like, obviously normally a card would have one number but these cards have two numbers so you can uh, yeah. when you play them in your poker set you can choose which number they're going to be so they add quite a lot of extra flexibility they've got like this extra mobility and flexibility to them so they're really fun. Right, cool. they're really fun to play with they kind of shake up the game quite a bit um then we added um the 
there's a I always wanted to have a second a lot of the thing about original Ruthless was that I wanted it to be like a deck builder that gave you a lot more sort of decision space. I feel like a lot of deck builders yeah. like you get five cards, you play the cards, uh, you do the best thing that you could do with those cards, and then it's the next player's turn. Um, and here I wanted like every time you do something to be, you have to make a decision. Um, so I also wanted to add in, I wanted to add in extra scoring um, options so that there were different ways to win the game. And um, so now there's in-game scoring in the form of quests. Um, so if oh, you right, fulfill okay. certain objectives during the game, you can claim a chest. So we have these new tokens that are treasure chests, and they're, mm -hmm. they're, and they give you a good choice as well. So they're worth one point if you've still got it at the end of the game. But they've also got a nice power on them as well, like a bonus action. So you can discard the chest and get an additional action on your turn, which sometimes can be the difference between like winning a round and losing a round. So choosing when yeah. to time those out is good. Um, and then the next module that goes in hand in hand with that is this uh, Heroes module, sort of we call them the Notorious. And yeah. sort of, there are five different sort of legendary figures from pirate lore. So uh, Simba's the fantasy one, but then we have like uh, Blackbeard, and Ching Shi and Anne Bonny and Black Caesar, who are all well-known um, pirate legends. And you can recruit those instead of recruiting them with coins like you would have done. Now you recruit them with chests. So you have to collect some chests and do some quests in order to, mm. um, in order to be able to get one of those heroes on your side. And they come with much stronger powers and do interesting things, mix up the scoring again. Um, and then we have these two threat modules. So um, we have uh, the Kraken, which is a series of tentacle cards that get shuffled in with the deck that you can attack or brawl, and you get bonuses from those and interesting wow. things. And we also have, for people who like a bit more, take that in their game. And can... So the Kraken kind of softens the attack, which will appeal to people who, because it gives you something else to attack other than other players. So it takes away some of the take that in the game. Um, and then if you want more of the take that, well, <laughs> then we have a module called the Cursed, which is kind of like zombie pirates. And they're kind of like a take that thing. Where they're like a curse, basically. So you attack it, mm -hmm. but then it goes into your opponent's deck. Um, it goes into their oh, right, ship. Okay. So it goes into play and messes up their crew kind of thing in a small way, but a fun way. But then they can also choose, once that pirate's that cursed pirates on their ship, they could choose to attack that mm -hmm. pirate and then it gets passed to one of their opponents. So it's kind of like a little sort of hot potato curse mechanism, which is... Uh, oh, yeah, no, no, I like that. Which works really nicely with, like, three players. It's, uh, it's a bit more strategic with two players, that kind of mechanism there. But uh, with the three and four players, that's really fun. So, uh, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, you're, that's, that's there if your group likes that kind of... Um, volatility, mm -hmm. of course. So there's a sort of something for all different people, and there's lots of um, there's lots of new variety. There's lots of new bonus actions. Um, yeah, and so far the yeah all the testing has gone really well, and um, people seem to be really liking all the extra content. It definitely opens up the game a lot and adds a lot more. How how easy was it to do the testing? 
Because um, I was assuming I'd look in her. It wasn't <laughs> easy. So, um, so Ruthless was originally designed as a two-player game. So a lot of like just testing um, the concepts at the concept level. I was able to do uh, double-handed. So then you test, yeah. you play both hands yourself, and that just tells you sort of whether um, it's working. Um, yeah. And then after that, I sort of assign a personality <laughs> to my other hand, and uh, <laughs> so that one I play in two different ways with the two different hands. And then once All I got right. past that stage on my own. Then I start pushing it out into the world because I'm just yeah. I'm just imagining you walking around the other side of the board and putting on putting on the top putting on the top hat yeah, exactly. and then bringing out the bringing out the cane and kind of start twiddling the moustache and say Ah, I see I see you have played the Kraken this time, Roland. Well, I'll not let you get away with it. Ha 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 ha! And then you go back round the table, take the top hat, put the cane. <laughs> <laughs> and in fact, in some ways, you enjoyed the dress up more than you did playtesting, which is why it took six months long. That's why it took <laughs> it's like the, <laughs> the game. The game's not ready, but I'm I'm opening. <laughs> I'm going to be opening at the Globe Theatre next week <laughs> when it reopens again. <laughs> I'm playing Richard the <laughs> Third and all the other characters. <laughs> exactly. Have you seen my Lear? <laughs> outstanding um <laughs> yeah but for a long for a long time we were allowed to have like i think in england and america there were real heavy lockdowns quite quickly yeah um yeah that's because like, we were rubbish yeah but, you, yeah, <laughs> but we're not particularly great here in the netherlands but um we were allowed to see like what i think one or two we were allowed to see two people we were allowed to have two people in the mm. house uh visit mm-hmm. Um, so you could still test at that point. So until about January, that was kind of the case that you could have two people in the house. Um, so a lot of testing did get done up to then. And then once after January, you're allowed one person in the house. I think for a period, maybe no, no people. I can't remember. Uh, so then everything sort of moved over to Tabletopia for a while. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I was really lucky that uh, I was able to find a bunch of people that were uh, willing to test fairly regularly on Tabletopia. Um, Mm -hmm. The problem with Tabletopia is it tells you if the game's working, but it doesn't necessarily tell you, it doesn't give you a good feel for how the game's playing because everything's so slow. So you're not really playing the game, you know, you're playing the game mechanically. Yeah. But all the table feel is difficult to maintain. Um, the pace is a lot slower, and a lot of the energy is missing. So the feel of whether it's fun or not is much harder for you to pick up on. So um, all of normally a lot of what I'm looking for when I'm doing the testing is how people are reacting. Partly, I'm looking to see if they're using the new mechanisms and how they're interacting with them. Obviously. Yeah, the, other, yeah. the other part of it is just, are they having fun? When someone uses this power, how do the other people on the table react? Um, if someone takes a card that someone wanted, how big a deal is that? Um, are they getting stuck on something? And all these things you can only tell by watching people or, yeah, 
the banter that happens and there's a bit of banter obviously that happens over chat but it's it's not the same is it it's all stilted so um, yeah and, so and because people are taking their time the it's difficult yeah and people are taking their time or like tabletopia doesn't deal with cards very well which is unfortunate for a card game <laughs> it, it deals it deals with stacking decks in a really annoying way so people who the first time you play with someone yeah. who's not used tabletopia you spend half the session just trying to help them understand why tabletopia is so fiddly and yeah and then and then uh, their feeling the number of, of, number of times i've done that and just ejected like, stuff did you enjoy the game? And, and their feeling is completely mixed up with yeah. how much they were irritated by the interface. <laughs> so, yeah, you're like, exactly. uh, so the, yeah, the feedback wasn't necessarily useful. So it's really good for testing the mechanics and being able to mm. do that. So you had to just take it on that level. And then in terms of the interaction stuff, I had to just, yeah, I could still test with one person at a time. So I was able to do a lot of the two player stuff. And then as soon as uh, restrictions lifted, we just had to sort of double down on doing three-player testing and four players and getting the test kits out there so other players, we could get as much of that done as possible. So, and uh, yeah, was it's it, been difficult. But um, How was it oh. How was it in terms of like, um, see in terms of like, like the marketing side of things? Mm. Like getting it out to yeah. previewers and people like that. I mean, is that well? This is one of yeah. This is I think one of the things that's actually we're, we're going to talk about. I think this the Kickstarter and building an audience yes. and all that kind of stuff. Yes. It's definitely yes. much the, harder now. There's structure to my chat, Roland. Yeah, I'm you, getting round to it. I'm kind of working round there. So and I'm uh, getting there, and you just ruined it all. Did I? So yeah, just. Completely destroyed it. No, 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 no. Let's why, why, why? You know, why? you know that we've, it's like trying to like... on Richard's methods. <laughs> Shattered the illusion. It'd be like try to reverse a car that's crashed into a wall. You're going to leave some stuff behind. Let's not bother doing that. I was trying. Um, to, I was just trying to prove you do actually work to do this thing. You know. <laughs> uh, just... Not just a bumbling mm. idiot. <laughs> you know what I... you're doing. <laughs> I just, I've been, I'm, I'm just literally winging it. Um, okay, there yeah. you go. Um, um, but no, yeah, in, t- in terms no, of that it, side of things. Yeah, I mean that's like the big thing with conventions, right? I think that's a really difficult thing. Like, um, in a different year, we would have taken uh, probably test versions of this at least to present in some form to Spiel last year, um, and we might have waited until UK Games Expo and then launch the Kickstarter following UK Games Expo um, just to build audience um, mm-hmm. face-to-face with lots of different people. Like I usually, I think the year that we released uh, Ruthless, I think locally in the Netherlands and Belgium, I went to at least 10 conventions with Ruthless. And yeah, uh, yeah you build a following then and people post about it and you get photos and you get real different sorts of feedback and, yeah, just building that mm-hmm. audience is different. It's easier to reach out to uh, previewers and that when you actually see them on the floor <laughs> of a convention as well, and you have a drink with them and stuff. So, uh, yeah, so that's definitely been a hindrance, and I think that's probably been felt across the entire industry, really. Um, yeah, you know, people are launching, putting projects out there, and unless you've got a big advertising uh, budget or you've got really good media connections 
um, it, it can be quite hard to pull all that together at the moment, I think, and get an audience without spending a lot of time on social media. And also as, like, as somebody who is previewing games mm-hmm. for, for Kickstarter myself, yeah. it's incredibly difficult to even get them together to get the games played. There's some games yeah, that... Yeah, exactly. I you know I play I play with my son um you know and and he's fine he comes on the other ones it's like my daughter will play with me but and, and then some of them I'm just sitting there going this is going to be really difficult to get anybody yeah. <laughs> to play with and then yeah. you feel really it's okay I mean the Kickstarter ones the time sensitive ones it's mm-hmm. like okay this is what we're doing this is how we're going to play it and then you put together what you can mm-hmm. some of them it's just like I'm not going to I'd love to I'd love to do something for this, but it's gonna be really difficult to actually Yeah, I've seen seen, I've seen table. some of your videos where you're sort of trying to work out ways of talking about them and presenting them in different ways. And yeah, I can see, you know, yeah, having to adapt to find new solutions to that. And it is really difficult. Also you're sending review copies out and yeah, you have to be realistic that uh, tons of review copies are still being sent out. It's probably more games being made almost than mm-hmm. before. Um, but people are not able to play them as much. So I've sent out tons of review copies now. But I'm, yeah, I'm, you know, the reality is that the hottest of the hotness will get played first. And uh, people don't get that many play sessions in. So you just sort of cross your fingers and hope that. Uh, somehow you make it up the pile um, if you're a small producer you know if you're a big company you're going to get you're going to get your game played um if you're a smaller producer then it's definitely going to be harder unless you've already picked up a bit of buzz from you got lucky and picked up a buzz from one it can start a catalyst yeah. but um but yeah it's uh definitely tricky <laughs> I think that's, yeah, probably, no, that's partly probably always the case to a degree, but yeah, like with the plays now, I think a lot of previewers and reviewers were probably playing like playing around twenty games a week, kind of thing, or more. And uh, yeah, now that's probably down to four or five. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and even if if that as well, because yeah, I mean, no, if you're sure. in some situations, I know some. There's obviously some um, um, media creators out there. That they actually, they're ma- they're married to their games partner. Yeah. Or they live with their games partner, and yeah, so sure. if they want to get the games played, you know, they're the ones that they've just handed them out. And then there's others that are just, you know, they've just not had that access. Mm-hmm. So they're like, join me next week <laughs> as yeah. we go through we go through another solo yeah. mode. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely been an uptick in solo mode videos, and oh yeah. And then also definitely. some 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 people have definitely done a better job of trying to work out how to integrate uh, some of the digital mm. stuff. But like I said, it plays so slowly on digital that it's kind of agony to watch any of this. <laughs> Just well, the, turns the guys, so the, the guys I've well, the guys I've seen streaming, like say Ross from More yeah. Games, please. He's doing a really cool he's, job. He's doing really good stuff, but he's actually doing the physical. Yeah, yeah, exactly, um, and he's got a good setup, and uh, yeah. he's got the farm and the personality to sort of keep you entertained, even when he's uh, yeah. yeah fiddling yeah, and faffing him. around. He's really good yeah. with people, so it's uh, despise really him. Good flow. Absolutely, yeah. just you know, yeah. and his hair I, I, it's as well. kind of a rate. <laughs> 
it's just all there. It's the so whole thing. It's the beard. Package. It's the hair. It's the kind of the friendly personality. Uh, and you go, genuine. I'm going to meet him. At, I'm going to meet him in real life, and he's going to be awful. And he's not. He's just genuinely really nice as well. It's and you end up just, I just, you know? I often rage cry when I watch him. <laughs> I'll be perfectly, I'll be perfectly honest. But you just can't um, stop. <laughs> I just get, I just get, you know, I just need to turn away. You know, and it's like, you know. Um, in terms of getting Ruthless Tall Tales out there, yeah. you is it, it says it's coming soon on Kickstarter. Yeah, so um, the plan up until uh, very recently was that we were going to start launch the Kickstarter on uh, June the 1st. Um, All right. Which is very soon. And, um, yeah, a few things have changed in the last couple of weeks well, that have made us maybe change up the system. So, um, well, the sort of announcement kind of thing is that we're not going to be running a Kickstarter and that we've decided to move over to um, kind of a pre-order-based campaign. It will still be a campaign. Oh. It will still be... Um, it's going to have, it's going to be a sort of a limited edition thing. So, um, All right, okay. it's going to be very few copies. And just for the people who uh, want to back, we won't, um, we won't be looking for retail or distribution. So, um, if people want to get on board or want to find out what, what it's about, then, um, the pre-order is the opportunity. And after that, uh, there'll be, yeah, very few copies available maybe on our website. So if there's stuff left, um, so it's mm-hmm. being published by uh, me for the English edition for that's Roland's mm-hmm. Revenge Games, and then Board Game Circus are doing the German edition. So we're doing a dual version for that. Um, and I think so. There's 400 copies left of the base game in English and 400 left in German. Um, so there'll be 400 possible pledges for the base game and the expansion. And then, um, and then the expansion will be available during um, the campaign. So that's how we're going to run it. And yeah, the reasons, uh, <laughs> the reasons are yeah, many, many yeah. and complicated. Um, yeah, I think there's a, f- yeah. So we started doing all the Kickstarter stuff and we've done the page and we've set up, started setting up the page and sending out to previewers and, um, and it started to get to a point where if you work, we were starting to work out the numbers and based on projections, cause you can get kind of a feel for how many people are following and what you need to break. Yeah, yeah. And then you're sort of thinking, so as a small producer, there's so many things that you have to do in order to keep up with um, what's expected from a Kickstarter. Um, and everyone does it because that's what you have to do. Like Kickstarters have got to a point where like, most Kickstarters look great, right? And they all come with all <laughs> bells and whistles and they've got fantastic graphic design and beautiful pages. Yeah. And that's fantastic. But for a small producer, that is a ton of work that a big company has their own graphic designers on and their own people and all this takes time and effort and a lot of it and um which is great but um and we've we have put in all that work and you'll be able to see that on the preview of the site when it's up next week uh well the website's already up and looks okay but the 
campaign is going up next week and looks uh, the, oh, preview, right. cool. the preview page of that will go up next week and it looks great already mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. um in terms of like doing it at the for kickstarter worrying about stretch goals having to pay for lots of extra videos um and then when it comes to the campaign um we're a very small team so there's me and a couple of guys at, um board game circus and we're all working on other stuff all the time so we've both got yeah i'm working on three different board games i'm illustrating at the moment and um and they've obviously got other projects that they've got in the process and we kind of decided that we also wanted to just want have this version of ruthless just be the best version of itself to also be able to work on the projects that we're doing put this out to the fans and maybe not try and have this big hit but instead make the project what we wanted to make it and focus on what we want it to be without all this extra pressure there's so much pressure and so much busy work with the kickstarter that um it was yeah the risk and reward was just out of balance so in terms of the numbers like this game's never going to make a ton of money like if we sold five thousand copies we'd get there but you know you've got to start selling those numbers to do really well and we don't we can't our projections don't show anything like that and we're not really sure that that's particularly what we wanted for it so we decided to take a step back for kind of for our own mental health (laughs) as well just to like no that's understandable we've got a lot going on in our lives i'm enjoying the other projects i'm working on um and also just financially so there comes a point where you have to pay for like i was going to have to buy pay for other uh, previewers to do videos so say it costs it costs sort of between 250 to a thousand euros depending on who you want to get to preview the game um but so if i pay for that then i have to sell now say 100 extra copies of the game just to pay for that video yeah plus i have to yeah. pay um for the international express delivery to get it there that's 60 euros and then a copy yeah. of the game and it's a pre-production copy so it's 20 euros so it's already cost a fortune but i have to make back in sales and we, once you start working out the numbers it was like well we could easily end up making a loss here because we'll have spent so much before the campaign just to yeah. get there and we probably would do well like we have faith in ruthless it's a great game but the stress just isn't worth it for us and we've got enough fans that we do, we know want the game and are interested in the game and for mm-hmm. me it's a passion project you know i want to see the art completed on this finish it up um present this version of the game out there to the people who like it and the people who really like deck builders or just are interested in pirate games or whatever and actually that's enough you know that satisfies my creator need and the stress of trying to make a hit game and do my job and all the other things actually I had to stop and ask there's a question do i need that like is that what i want like, yeah um yeah what's, what's the prize there and the prize isn't yeah. big enough for the work so it's really a risk and reward thing and that, that yeah we could get that successful yeah. but the actual reward and the amount of effort that has to go into that to get there yeah. isn't worth it i don't think that people realize when they're looking at a kickstarter campaign there's potentially like two and a half thousand euros worth of preview videos that are sitting on a page depending on how big the campaign is i mean 
if you're if using the big that, guys, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, if you're saying if you if you said that to somebody like five, th- you know, four or five years ago, oh, you're gonna you're gonna be, you know, all oh, right. I see you've got a you've got a funding goal of ten grand. <laughs> well, you're gonna you know two and a half two and a half grand of that's gonna be going on people. Um, you felt people on doing YouTube videos telling you what they, they think of your your yeah. game. You'd be like, shut up. Yeah, but it's no, a right. real industry right. now. It's a huge industry now. Yeah, it's changed and marketing super important. But it's also like in terms again of like real costs and real rewards. Like uh, mm. I did this game because I wanted to do it, not because, like I said, because I want to make any money out of it. I'm not crazy. I've been in the board yeah. games industry long enough to know. But that's not why you get into the board games <laughs> industry. Um, you yeah. do it for the passion, and that's the end of it. And if you happen to make a bit of yeah. cash on the way, then it's wonderful <laughs> bonus. So um, yeah. for me, I want to get it in the world and get it out there. And um, you know, I won't. I wouldn't even make the money back that it cost me to illustrate the cards in the game, even if the campaign did really well. Like normally, yeah. I would get paid <laughs> more than uh, most. Yeah, like. A good Kickstarter is going to fund that. So <laughs> I could just imagine you. I could just imagine you like struggling with like getting somebody's eyes right or something. And just going, I don't even know why I'm bothering. I'm not even getting paid for this. And just literally <laughs> flipping the table yeah. and walking it. But if you, walking if you want, it's kind of like that. If you weren't in it for the love of it, and you're like, oh, I really enjoy drawing this. I want to do this. I got this really great idea that I want to pull through in this game. There's just no way you could get it done because it doesn't make mm. sense. <laughs> it's crazy. Even mm. if you take out the fact that I both designed and illustrated it and have done most of the graphic design and graphic design for the Kickstarter campaign and all of that stuff, like the man hours yeah. involved in that alone, could no Kickstarter could ever pay that back that I could do on my scale. It's impossible. So if you're honest with yourself about making that money back and money isn't the issue then taking a step back and going okay well you know i could try and recoup some yeah. of that loss or i can just say hey this has been fun and i'm doing it for the cool and the fun because i believe in this game um mm-hmm. i think it's really great and so did my fans so um so it's kind of a bit like that and it's like let's not pretend that it's about the money and i see a lot of yeah, yeah. kickstarters that fund and you think there's no way those people made any money right just yeah, the amount of work, like just the man hours alone. If you actually think of, even if you only pay yourself twenty euros an hour, you're not yeah. making money. You know, I can't. Yeah. I couldn't even count the number of hours I spent on making this expansion and doing all the work related to it. I <laughs> genuinely is so is yeah. is that is that why is that why the expansion is you're selling it for one hundred and twenty seven euros <laughs> per coffee. Yeah. Just to say, you got fifty cards. Yeah, but they're great cards. <laughs> and, no, and is uh, it right in saying that twenty-seven of those cards you've asked the people to actually colour them in <laughs> themselves? Yeah, fan you colours. just give them like a, <laughs> it's like yeah, a paint by numbers job. <laughs> I draw a line drawing and it, and I haven't got the time for this. <laughs> exactly. What are you expected? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's the other thing as well. Here. Like. There was a point at which we were saying, oh, we wanted the project, we wanted the product to be a certain, the game to be a certain price. And as you're starting to mm. work out how much the Kickstarter is going to cost and factoring in uh, Kickstarter's 10%, the price of the game was starting to creep up. And it's like, 
oh, we, that's not what we want. <laughs> We're not trying to make this expensive product and make yeah. money. And, you know, it's not it's not in the spirit of the thing. So um, yeah. So we really want to keep it a, a fair price for what it is, and get a lot in the game. But um, yeah, we're not like I said. I'm not trying to make the money back because I don't think that's. Right. It's mm. not. This isn't a business proposition. I'm not a businessman um, <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. I'm, not, I'm already. I'm, I'm, already I'm not an pitching. We're not on Dragon Yeah. You know. Yeah. That's. I'm, I'm here, so I'm how, how much is a copy then? Uh, the expansion. <laughs> well, you've come to the wrong place. Yeah, no, sorry, mate. <laughs> the expansion um, will be uh, well. It's going to be sixteen euros. Wow. Um, but on the first twenty-four hours, it will be twelve euros. Um, and then with a copy of the base game, it will be thirty-six euros. Uh, That's nothing. So it's a really good deal. But like I said, That's it's a really more good about. Deal. Just want to put it out there, and I want people to get it and love it and <laughs> enjoy mm. what we did on it. And uh, I think if people have enjoyed other games I've illustrated or like deck builders yeah. or want to see something a bit more interactive in a deck builder or something different. I mean, Ruthless is not your standard deck builder, and it does offer something new. And I'm confident that it's a good design. So I just want to get it out there, really. <laughs> That's my aim. And then I want to get on with the next design. And get on with all the other board games I'm illustrating. Yeah. And get back exactly. to the drawing table and not spend so much time trying to work out how Facebook ads work, <laughs> which is a oh horrifying rabbit hole that I wish I'd never had to go yeah. down. Yeah. <laughs> which is put your ad out, put your ad out there, and then get your entire page suspended for like three <laughs> days because you used. Yeah. <laughs> because <That's a> <laughs> Oops. Wrong keyword. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. I thought, I thought, I thought putting Zuckerberg wants to be a dictator would be fine, but it turns out I was wrong. So there you yeah. go. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that so the page will be going live. Um, by the time people are listening to this, the page will be, be up, yeah. probably in live in the next couple of days. Or yeah, like the, the website's already up. The website's already ruthless-game.com. And that right, has okay. um, links. It shows all the new stuff that's in the game already. Right. And it shows, uh, for people who don't know about Ruthless, um, it shows that uh, there's videos of the uh, reviews from the first game. There's a how-to-play sort of uh, playthrough um, mm-hmm. with graphics, like a yeah, visual overview. And there's a bunch of stuff on there at the moment. And then... Yeah, the actual cool. there'll be some sort of preview showing the pledges and all the extra stuff going up soon. And the yeah, with a lot of players, a lot of the people we have got copies out to are starting to share stuff on social media. So we've got a nice following on Instagram. And, uh, yeah, so it's all going up sort of in the next week, hopefully. And hopefully, you know, the people who really like the game will come. And yeah, and our break-even point is much more comfortable now. So uh, yeah. we can afford to get the printing done and get it out there. And mm. this way we don't have to do tons of stretch goals and things. So we can also keep the printing in Europe, hopefully. And uh, that will mean we yeah. can del- deliver uh, certainly. Even quicker. Definitely this year. Um, yeah, that's cool. Because so, I, really <laughs> I really hate this. Buy a game on Kickstarter, forget about it. And then a year, year and a half later, something turns up on your doorstep and go, oh, 
did I back that? <laughs> so oh, I've totally, I've totally sorry. fallen out with those types of games. Yeah, <laughs> I, you know, I find it really difficult to do that anymore. So I, I really want to be able to deliver really quickly. So certainly with that, yeah, we get the proper quotes back from the uh, manufacturers tomorrow. Friday uh, is Friday already, isn't it? So <laughs> Monday, I guess now. Uh, yeah, um, pretty much. But yeah, I'm hoping uh, sort of six months maximum for production and shipping if we get them done in Poland Super or different. something. So yeah. yeah. So if people have listened along and they were like, "Oh, this is amazing," and they want to know more, where can they? Where do you? Where can they find you on the internet webs? Roland. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, they can find me most easily on Instagram. It's my preferred social media. Um, I'm on there as uh, Roland the Illustrator. And yes. Ruthless is on there as ruthless.bg. Um, okay. So you can see more about the game and regular updates there. And then mm-hmm. um, the website is ruthless-game.com. So yes. that's kind of everything. I am on Twitter and things as well, but you can find that on your Yes. Own. You've got the main <laughs> the main the main website about Roland's if you're listening along to oh, yeah. it and you and, are uh, thinking about getting a game illustrated and even like some absolutely. art direction and stuff like that, you've got Rolandsrevenge.com. Yeah. Hold on for remembering my actual I'm pitching, business. I'm pitching for you. <laughs> oh, I actually I'm have a pitching. business. Yeah. My illustration a business, business here. for sure. Yeah, yeah. and I am booked ahead. So um, if you do, if you're so thinking them, about something down the line, like, um, let, let me know in advance. And that goes for all people who are looking for illustrators, really. Try and reach out to your illustrators a bit earlier. Because uh, when I started in the business, they would be like, oh, we've got this game. Uh, are you available? And you go, yeah, when, when would it be? And it's like, uh, in the next month. <laughs> Tuesday. You know? Oh, Christ. Yeah. Why is it always like this? Why do I always need to do everything it's tomorrow? Just... So, yeah, no, you'll get you'll get things. better product if you ask early. <laughs> so, yeah, ask, exactly. me, ask me early. Ask everyone early and you'll get better stuff. Unless unless you ask me, because then yeah, you just get, right. a, you just give me longer to give <laughs> great rubbish jokes. Yeah. <laughs> and come up with a worse intro. You know, there you go. Um, if you want to keep an eye on what we're up to, just go to the Googles. We're still there. We still exist and search for We're Not Wizards. You'll find us in all the different places, faces, stases and bases um, on Instagram and Twitter and we're on TikTok. Because we're fannies. I have no idea. Oh, are you on TikTok? Um, Twin? I, 12? I'm not 12. No, apparently. I'm not 12. <laughs> apparently not. Um, and we do videos on YouTube and we've got our blog, which we do written stuff, which is brunotwizards.co.uk. And if you want to find out what 412 episodes of me talking <laughs> sounds like, you can go to wearenotwizards.com, basically. Um, I don't mention all the episodes because some of them aren't me talking, so they're not important. Um, if you like what you've listened to, um, then jump onto Apple Podcasts and drop us a subscription. And you can do a review and all that thing. Remember, if you are going to be giving us a review, don't give us five stars. No, give us five stars. <laughs> no, don't give us ten stars. Uh, don't give us ten stars. I've just mussed it up. <laughs> you know what to do. 
I'm not even editing this. This is not going to happen. There's no editing going on. It's just yeah. like that. I've been around long enough. Yeah. I don't see why I should even be asking. No <laughs> you should be now. lining up. You should be lining up. We're definitely not getting five basically. stars for this episode. Definitely, probably not. Sloppy probably work. a good six and a half, maybe. <laughs> Sloppy. <laughs> a good three and a half. Yeah. It's, I don't know. I can beg later. It's fine. <laughs> you know, as long as they don't give us one star, because it'll make us cry. You know. I'm not, you know, it's, it's, I'm fine with being average. It's just like it's, a, it's an acceptable thing. You know, I can't even get 500 likes on Instagram or viewers or whatever they call them. I don't care. You know, all you youngins with your virtual online media. But anyway, um, there's only a couple more things to do before I turn this into an absolute car crash. The first thing is to say a big thank you to Roland for coming along. Thanks for having me. Thank- no, thank you. Oh, thank you. No, 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 thank you. Okay, then, I'll take it. <laughs> That's fine. And the second thing is to make sure you go and check out uh, go and check out Ruthless. Tall Tales, which will be... I'll put in the links in the show notes. Just click and press buttons and pre-order it. Um, and the second thing is to say goodbye. So it's a goodbye from the rather wonderful, rather fantastic... Do you know in the previous show notes... <laughs> I just read this, it says Roland McDonald is his name and if he was a boat, he'd be called Artie McArtface That takes you That takes me back yeah. um, So it's a b- goodbye from Roland, say goodbye Roland Goodbye, Roland And it's goodbye from me Remember, stay safe Roll sixes Make something awful and don't be heartless, be ruthless. <laughs> but until, but until the next time, <laughs> goodbye. A wizard is never late. He early. He arrives precisely when he means to.